Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, I think it was altogether an embarrassment and a sort of bit of a joke, but not a particularly amusing one. No, and it's so sad because, you know, to be serious, Napoleon is, as thousands of books and so many films suggest, is an object of great fascination to people everywhere for very disparate reasons, whether they're human, political, military or whatever, he is an object of fascination. And because we're talking not just about Napoleon, but about something bigger. There's something I would call Napoleon the Phenomenon. Hello, and a bonus pod for you, a chat with the acclaimed historian of Napoleon, Adam Zamoyski. He's the author of 1812, Napoleon's Fatal March on Moscow, and Napoleon, the Man Behind the Myth, as well as Rights of Peace, The Fall of Napoleon and the Congress of Vienna. We're talking the new Ridley Scott film, why it's a missed opportunity, as well as the reaction. We talk other Napoleon movies and why France has a strange relationship with the extraordinary phenomenon that is Napoleon. Please do share, share, share. I've got plenty more great history coming in 2024. Coming up, it's Simon Turney talking the Gothic Wars. And this Saturday, it's Great British Commanders and Douglas Haig. Until then, I'm going to hand you over to me talking with Adam Zamoyski. Adam, welcome back on. And uh, thank you very much for giving me your time so we can talk about Napoleon. And I was very fortunate to not actually have to pay to watch it. I was given a screening. And so we've just been talking before we started recording. And so I, I kind of, as I was watching, actually, I did think of you whilst I was watching the film. I did think, oh my God, he's going to have a field day with this. <laughs> um, but I, okay, so I, I'm going to have to hold my hands up and say, I, I I sat back and relaxed and thought, okay, this is just entertain me. This is complete historical car crash, but I I found it quite amusing. So that's my, that's my you know in a nutshell. Yeah, well, my my problem with it, you know, insofar as I have a problem with it, I mean, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have gone to see it anyway, except I was asked to introduce it at the British Film Institute. Over a couple of days and several screenings. Well, I didn't find it good entertainment, and that's fundamentally it. I mean, I wasn't expecting a history lesson. Mind you, I wasn't expecting anything quite so absurd. 
because, well, first of all, I'm saying that, well, over two years ago now, um, I was approached by David Scarpa, and we had about um, uh, three or four consultations over Zoom lasting, you know, well over an hour each. I mean, probably about two in some cases, um, because he was beginning to work on the screenplay. And he was a very, very bright fellow. He had a, you know, very nice talk. He seemed serious, so he was interested, and and I tried to get as much as I could across. And um, very fortunately for me, because uh, after about three of these sessions, for which I was very nicely paid, you know, I was um, offered the. They asked me to be the um, to to you know take on a contract as the consultant, and luckily I had other things to be getting on with at the time. And I sort of felt I didn't want to get involved any further because I assumed that if you're the consultant, you have to be around while they're filming or at least, you know, sit around with people. And there's nothing I hate more is even when people are doing short documentaries and, you know, the minute a camera is involved and, uh, you know, the, people become very tiresome anyway so I declined that and I suggested um, they ask Andrew Roberts uh, I only discovered subsequently that um, they didn't ask him but they went to Michael Brewers well I um, I had a narrow escape there because I mean it it really is from the historical point of view more than absurd and just, you know, it's not a question of inaccuracies. It's it's a pile of rubbish, uh, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with making a film. There are, there are some great films. There's a lovely film, which I watched again, which I have a DVD of, made in the 1950s from a novel called Desiree, which is about Napoleon's first love. Um, it was Desiree Clary, who then married Bernadotte and became Queen of Sweden. And uh, the novel and the film, which follows it, play fairly fast and loose with history. And it doesn't matter because it's a fantastic film. It's a terrific love story because you've got the lovely young Gene Simmons and you've got Marlon Brando playing Napoleon. And he's absolutely fantastic. Um, he really worked at it visually. My wife, who was, who was a painter, um, just said, it's extraordinary. Every time he makes a gesture, I see one of those David portraits of him. And he really made a very good Napoleon. It's terrific entertainment. Um, one almost had a tear in one's eye at the end. And that would be fine. And I thought, you know, my goodness me, with Ridley Scott, with the budget he can command, huge talent for filmmaking with David Scarpas writing screenplay, you know, there must be a, a jolly good film. You know, it'll be very good entertainment. In fact, it's not good entertainment. And I can't think of anything positive because I don't think even the battle scenes um, are remotely, remotely give an idea of what it was like in the way that, for instance, um, Bondarchuk's War and Peace that extraordinary scenes from the retreat through the dust with the officers wearing bandanas to keep the 
the dust out of their face. You know, it, you really got a sense of what it was like. Here, you really didn't. Um, and, and, you know, so anyway, so I think really, on the whole, the least said about that film, the better. Um, and one's far better off watching, well, first of all, um, Abel Gans's Napoleon, uh, which is a masterpiece, and it may be impressionistic, but it does put across something of what was special about Napoleon. And if you want the battle scenes, go for Bondarchuk or that, um, I forget who made the one with um, Rod Steiger about Waterloo. Sergei, um, uh, that was the same, wasn't it? It was the same, yeah. yeah. That's, of course, it was the same. Um, but but because I, I think one of the challenges might be for Ridley Scott is that he does he's made I think three or four films in the last five years, and so and and this project I think and you'll know this better than I but this project's been running for a while I think Stanley Kubrick wanted to do the do it in the seventies and then they made the Waterloo film and so he made Barry Lyndon instead which was wonderful i thought but i think once it gets into the hands of someone like ridley scott who's made some great films but he's also made some really not very good films maybe he's just taken the approach of we'll just have to get this out you know it's it's uh... i i agree i think well i think probably what happened was that halfway through writing the script or making the movie even they, uh, as it were, changed horses. And from making a film about Napoleon, they made a film about a love affair with Josephine. And that didn't work, first of all, because if you don't have a firm idea of what you're going to make at the beginning and you do start changing course, it doesn't work. And secondly, there was absolutely zilch chemistry between the actors playing Napoleon and Josephine. And it... And it it was neither romantic nor sexy, nor you couldn't really understand. There just wasn't. It, it wasn't credible as an, you know, as, a, as an affair. It, no, I agree. I, th I think that the other thing is that well, he's getting old, as are, are we all, and um, and I think the trouble is that with filmmakers who have won huge acclaim as he has an element of megalomania does come in and the sense that I can't do wrong. And I think the, the poor fellow really lost his way and made a, made a mess of things. And um, very, very sad because a great opportunity was missed, you know, with, with that budget, you know, with, they could have um, got some really good actors, some interesting actors, None of them looked the part. I mean, Robespierre just looked like a fat old fuddy-duddy. Um, there was no, you, you didn't feel any of the sense of fear or terror about him. Barat, who was, you know, a dissolute, old, old, corrupt man, it was played by somebody who was young and cute. Everybody was, was, was wrong, really. And um, there was, Talleyrand gave off no sense of, perfidy or cunning or anything at all. Um, no, was, and, and, you know, and as for Alexander um, the, the first, he just looked like a sort of 
a silly little boy. I mean, he was a silly little boy, but he was a little bit older than that. He wasn't, didn't look quite as silly as that. So anyway, there we go. That's um. And, and what about well, uh, the portrayal of Wellington, which I thought was parody? Oh, uh, I mean, you know, you can think a lot of things about Wellington. I don't particularly admire him as a, as, as a figure. I think he's greatly overrated. But one thing you cannot deny, he was a bloody good-looking man. And you only have to look at those Lawrence portraits of him. He was a, you know, he was a terrific-looking man, distinguished-looking. Whereas, um, what's his name? Everett, Rupert Everett. Yes, Rupert Everett just looked like a very, very angry old maiden aunt, um, you know, straight out of P.G. Woodhouse. And his attempts to sort of be British and sort of offhand, I thought, just just, uh, just completely missed the point. Um, so, no, I think it was altogether an embarrassment and, um, and, and a sort of bit of a joke, but not a particularly amusing one. So I don't think you're going to be watching the, I think, muted four-hour streaming version. I very much doubt it. (laughs) You never know if I'm paid (laughs) Um, enough, I might. No, and it's so sad because, you know, to be serious, Napoleon is, as thousands of books, so many films suggest, is an object of great fascination to people everywhere for very disparate reasons, whether they're human, political, military or whatever. He is an object of fascination. And because we're talking not just about Napoleon, but about something bigger. There's something I would call Napoleon the Phenomenon, you know, Napoleon the person, and then there's Napoleon the thing. And Napoleon the thing is all about Napoleonic France. Um, and it actually, you know, it's a kind of, it's a it's a movement, a social movement, an emotional movement, a cultural movement that draws on the French Enlightenment, on, and particularly the the beginnings of French Romanticism on Rousseau, then um, after all, these people were reading an awful lot. Napoleon was always traveling and, and with a library and, and rereading. Uh, what was he reading? The Sorrows of Young Werther, Ossian, La Nouvelle Héloise, Paul et Virginie, tremendously romantic texts. Uh, and there was a, a kind of wave of almost a kind of cult of transcending the limits of everyday life. And that's what, particularly in the those early campaigns, that um, made him attempt the impossible, or as, what's his name, um, Oh God, I'm always forgetting uh, the general at um, in, in Egypt um, who couldn't stand him. Um, he kept saying, "It'll come back to me in a moment." He said, "The trouble with this dreadful man—he's—he's—he does it all wrong. He thinks all wrong. He—he he keeps changing his mind. He doesn't have a proper plan. But he's got this extraordinary thing. I'm—I'm I'm obviously uh, not quoting exactly. He says, and." 
he's got this extraordinary gift and um, it is to dare and to keep on daring and that he inspired, Napoleon inspired himself and others to do, to attempt the impossible. And they, you know, they did attempt what seemed to be impossible and they jolly well carried it off uh, in, in many cases. So it is a, an extraordinary human and social and cultural phenomenon of which he's not even the figurehead. He's, he's possibly the most salient, the most, um, most evident manifestation, which is why all the, all the British romantics were fascinated by him. He is a, he and that movement particularly uh, are a very worthy object of study and an interesting film. And somebody like Ridley Scott, if he'd worried less about history and done something possibly more honestly um, impressionistic, you know. Um, sort of gone back to Blade Runner and, and you know, and done something which which gave really gave his idea of Napoleon. But it turns out he didn't really have one. Perhaps and, he's not as interested in Napoleon as one would imagine a director should be. And I think there's something in that. Um, so, as I say, I think it's a great disappointment and a pity because a lot of money was wasted on what could have been or if at least they'd stuck to making really terrific battle scenes. Um, that might have been um, okay, but um, anyway. <laughs> well, there was no set. I mean, essentially, you, you, I wonder if, I think Hollywood is in dire straits at the moment. We are getting these these superhero movies churned out, alarming regularity in my in my view. But And so then you've had these recent films on Oppenheimer and... Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese and Christopher Nolan making films. Not to mention Barbie. <laughs> oh, Barbie, yes, which I have yet to see. I've seen the other two. But uh, because Hollywood's in such trouble, uh, is in producing films that, you know, have a real intellectual bent to them, that's, they're, they're a rarity nowadays, probably asking way too much for a, mm. a biopic of uh, Napoleon to look at, you know... All those, all those strands of him. I mean, you know, there's a brief nod to him, him inspiring his troops with him standing in on in the campaign in Russia, just handing out bits of French bread, I think, mm. and that seemed to be the only nod to why so many men followed him. I think you wrote about this in your piece as well. Yeah. No sense of that at all. Well, okay, I found the performance of Vanessa Kirby. I thought she was good. Well, the poor, the poor girl had, I think she'd, she didn't know what she was supposed to be doing, really, because there wasn't strong uh, direction. I think she did what she could. And, you know, she, she acted very nicely, a, a pretty thankless part. Um, that's the way I put it. And, of course, she's easy on the eye, so that was fine. But, again, there was no chemistry between them which wouldn't have so much mattered uh, if they'd stuck to the original because there wasn't much chemistry between Napoleon and Josephine, certainly not on her part. He, she found him 
absurd to begin with, a lousy lover. Well, they got that right. Yes, far far too serious. Yes, but again, what was ridiculous? She she spreads her legs and shows him. I think, and then he only ever seems to do her from behind after that. So you know, <laughs> there's a sort of non sequitur there. And, um, you know, there was a very interesting relationship there, and that was not explained at all. And that sudden thing of her saying, you know, you're nothing without me, is, um, you know, it it doesn't ring true because it's not explained. You don't know where did that come from? Because one minute she's chucked all her stuff out onto the lawn in the rain, and the next minute she's got him there saying, you're nothing without me, where, you know, she arrives realising she's nothing without him. She hasn't even got a place to stay. And talking about places to stay, I mean, first of all, you know, she was living in penury and all her china was cracked and and and, and chipped and all she she had sort of knives and forks from different sets. It was all unmatched and, and hopeless. And she was living in this very small rented um, house. And no, here in the film, there's sort of marble halls with um, um, with flunkies in, in powdered wigs and white stockings. You know. And also, what gets me is, why did they have to film all the interiors in England in evidently English country houses, um, rather than in France. And they, he goes to Malmaison. Well, Malmaison is there for all to see. They could have rolled up in front of that. And um, Whereas these um, absurd um, English sets, which didn't suit the thing, were another sort of an annoying thing, I thought. Uh, because, um, and it was very interesting because, uh, as I said, I... I um, had to speak before these screenings at the BFI. And then afterwards, in the intervals between one screening and another, uh, my publishers had very nicely arranged for me to be signing and selling books. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was amazed at um, how much we sold. And it, and people were coming up, not just to buy books, but, but to talk about the film. And it was fascinating because there were people of all ages, all nationalities, all colours, and they were all disappointed. They all said, well, what do you think about it, sort of thing. And then, you know, they'd say, well, I quite like that battle scene, or, you know, I like the uniforms, or it really, it was really sad. And then to compound it, uh, I was um, a few days later, introducing the screening of Abel Garces thing at the BFI again. Actually, I was supposed to introduce it, but I was late, so I didn't. But um, but I was still there and for people to talk to. And there, it was extraordinary because, again, people of all ages, all nationalities, all every continent, colour, race imaginable, and they were coming out saying, wow, and, you know, and they were so interested and they were so excited by it. And the, the contrast was quite something. <laughs> so that's disappointing because one of the things that I was hoping for in this film is that if it if people did enjoy it and it piqued their interest in Napoleon, then they'll want to learn more and 
and so of course they'll they'll go and buy uh, your books. But it doesn't sound like the film has has seduced them into doing that. No, I think um, well, a lot of them did buy my book. Saying oh. <laughs> mainly, mainly, I think to find out what it was all about anyway. <laughs> uh, but um, but yes, it it I don't think it's going to start a great new interest in and or debate about Napoleon, which is a pity. And in a sense, I mean, what I would have welcomed was, to, you know, I gather that all the French just regarded it as they see anything that's done about France by a foreigner as anti-French. And it wasn't anti-French. It was anti-Napoleon. Well, it wasn't even anti-Napoleon. It just made him look pretty silly. But it wasn't anti-French. Whereas British historians, some of them thought it was marvellous, and most thought it was rubbish. And um, it would have been rather fun if one could have organised a, a sort of debate between half a dozen historians from either side of the channel to really talk about Napoleon. <laughs> and not necessarily about the film, but about Napoleon himself and, you know, and why one should make a decent film about him. But I think everybody just uh, get you know just jumps back into their own trench and snipes away at the other side. Yeah, that is a pity actually, because I would definitely enjoy a discussion like that. Well, I I think I found it a little bit more entertaining than you did, but that might have been because I was asked to go and watch it, so <laughs> it makes it easier that way. <laughs> Yes, I mean, uh, yes, I did. I, I did not find it entertaining. I have to yeah, say. Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't. I didn't. Well, I couldn't walk out of it really there. But and and I wouldn't have walked out of it even if I'd um, gone out to, to you know because I well partly because I was interested to see where it was going to go, and I have to say, where it went was absolutely extraordinary. And that very last picture. Of Napoleon keeling over like a sort of rag doll was almost slapstick, actually. That's why I think Scott was trying to make a comedy. I think he genuinely meant it to look slapstick. So many parts of it, which I I find it's the adds to the confusing aspect of of the film. Well, part of it were clearly he was trying to sort of impress what a sort of powerful man this was and there was Joaquin Phoenix putting on that somber look showing his power and all that and on the other hand it was yes it was a farce I mean it would be quite funny to do a kind of 1066 and all that <laughs> film <laughs> and go the whole hog no, I think it's a complete mess yeah um, so anyway that's um that's sort of you know just very sad. Well, Great. hopefully the French, because um, French cinema is, well, it's got a great tradition. I don't know why they couldn't have a crack at making a, a serious film about Napoleon. I think that it's rather complicated. The French are rather embarrassed about Napoleon at the moment. There are, there are still those who, for whom he, he is a kind of rallying point at a moment when France doesn't feel so great anymore. And, you know, the fact is 
Napoleon was great, you know, and that, that's what they cling to. And obviously there's also a huge constituency of people who are fascinated by the military aspects. On the other hand, there's been, coinciding with the bicentenaries, uh, there's been a serious rolling rewrite of the French Revolution and the whole Napoleonic period by a new generation of younger historians um, who are very detached and really went back to sources. And I found them very refreshing and helpful when I was writing my book. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I, I finished before they finished their bicentenary work, as it were. But uh, And also they reissued the whole um, correspondence unbowdlerized, which was which is very good. So there's been some serious historical work, very honest, but there's still a, a sort of defensiveness among many French people. Whereas I think it, it's probably generational, um, but a lot of people, I think, are slightly embarrassed by him because, you know, he's not politically correct. And then there's the other thing, which I think younger people, more and more, because so many of them, such a large percentage of the French population, are born abroad or are born of parents who are born abroad, who actually don't know much about him and don't much care. I suspect that um, in this country, if you were to ask in schools, you know, what they thought of Wellington or Nelson, you'd, you'd get a very... Um, you know, the similar sort of thing. So, but undoubtedly the, there's there's a thing, and this has been going on for a long time, that they don't like foreigners, particularly um, Anglo-Saxon authors, writing French history. You know, Simon Sharma wrote in the 90s the most wonderful history of the French Revolution, which was very cool, it wasn't anti-French. It did. It did take the line that it had all started badly. It wasn't that it had gone wrong, you know, like like all the um, the um, communists who were always saying that no, no, communism in Russia was fine. Well, it was just Lenin. It was Stalin it, who you know took it down the wrong path, and now nobody believes that. Thank God. And that book which if only out of interest, it's a very, very good book, very interesting, well-written. You know, there's the whole revolution in one readable book. Um, and you'd have thought that that would be at least of interest to the French, and it was never translated. Um, they don't translate um, even... Um, my... my um, Napoleon was translated, Miracle of Miracles, um, because uh, Andrew Roberts's, which um, got a, a, a prize from the Fondation Napoleon, mainly, I think, was because it was called Napoleon the Great. I don't suppose they read it, but <laughs> not on the cover. But he complained that his wasn't translated. And, um, you know, it, it, they, they've, got, they've got a problem with that. And they don't, they didn't publish many books anyway in France on on European history on or history outside France. It's, I think it's a, it's an odd way. I mean, uh, odd, odd um, situation. 
for French academics. And I don't know whether there's no market, whether the publishers don't like it. But, you know, I've, as I said, I've found some wonderful books published um, over the last 20 or so years about, well, 30 or so years about the revolution and the Napoleonic period, which are really very, very good studies. This has been this has been great, Adam. Thank you very much for um, giving me your thoughts on what is a major missed opportunity, and I and they don't come around very often. So we've probably got to wait another twenty odd years for another film on the podium, at least. Well, you never know. Some some small budget genius could produce something <laughs> really really impressive. You never know. Yeah, there was there was not a bad one um, about him in St Helena with Ian Holm playing Napoleon. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, it's about twenty five years old now. I think thirty mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. Um, right. Wonderful. Well, I'll I'll, um, uh, I'll I'll let you get back to not thinking about this travesty. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Well, it was nice to talk to you. And um, no, I mean I'm perfectly happy to talk about it. <laughs> In fact, I, um, I was trying to persuade Intelligence Squared to stage a, a bit of a debate about it, which could be amusing. I would, um, I would enjoy that definitely. So, yes, uh, with the, with the yeah, with some French historians, be fantastic. Yes. Would, would, um, would, would the debate um, be in English or French, and would it be in Paris or London? No, and anyway, it could be virtual, yes. and and important to get these experts who are consulting on the film on board. That would be interesting. <laughs> Yes, I pay to watch that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. Bye and all the best and um, happy Christmas if I don't speak to you before. Thanks, yeah. Adam. Same to you. Thank you very much for listening. A scathing rebuke for Mr. Scott there. But there's plenty more great history to come. But until then, thank you and good night.